One man, one mission, to equip the Church of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit and awaken the Church to the voice of the Spirit. David Cuppet brings to you the School of the Holy Spirit from one of his many missions from around the world, where he aligns with apostolic leaders to eradicate spiritual blindness and reveal the true authority of believers in Christ, to prophesy, heal the sick, raise the dead, and cleanse the lepers. Open your heart and get ready to receive all that the Holy Spirit has for you in this week's session of the School of the Holy Spirit. School is in session. Um, the, dream, the dream that I had last night, um, actually the Lord woke me up and he said, uh, I'm going to turn workers into leaders. And I'm like, all right, what, what are you going to do? And, and the, the, what he showed me was uh, each of the leaders getting down on their knees on their chair and starting to rip the carpet up and searching till they found this pearl. It was a pearl necklace. And when they found the pearl necklace, they, they put it on. Okay? And when they put it on, how many of you know that the, the pearl is Christ? It is Christ. And it requires a searching, but it requires you to be positioned on your knees in a certain place. You know the difference between a worker and a leader? The story of Mary and Martha Martha's running around the, the church doing all the work, but Mary's on her knees at the feet of Christ. And she found something, and when, when, when Martha started to complain because she was the one doing all the work, Christ responded and said that they will know Mary forever. That's, that's a leader. There's, you, there's people in here right now following what Mary did at the feet of Christ, Right? And that's, that's, a, that's an element of uh, searching through Jesus. And so there, the, the shift in mentality is you're not just a worker. You're at the feet of Jesus who makes you a leader. And people start to follow you because you're positioned at the feet of Christ. Are you with me? So who you are in Christ becomes a major important thing. And so there's, there's people in here who are going to function with cricket to care for the people ministerially and, and in many ways. So as these cards come in, you function as a leader and people begin to follow you as they're functioning under the head guy, right? Are you with me? Amen. So can you find a partner? Can you pair, pair up? So everybody that stood up, find somebody beside you that can be an accountability partner with you. How many of you know that the going gets tough sometimes? And sometimes people forget who and what they are in Christ and they need an accountability partner to remind them prophetically, that's not what you are. You are, you are what God says you are. You are what the Holy Ghost identified you as. So turn to your partner and say this, in the name of Jesus, you are what God says you are. I don't care what the devil says. I don't care what the weight of this world puts on you. It will not weigh you down. Because just as Jesus was in the desert, he knew that he was the Son of God. And because he knew who he was, he came out of the desert in the power of the Holy Ghost. You know who you are, and you're going to walk in the power of the Holy Ghost. You're not just a worker in the church. You're a leader. And people are going to follow you because of where you're positioned. At the feet of Christ. Hallelujah. Amen.
Is there, is there a person in here who's in charge of deliverance ministry? Or, or is there anybody who functions ministerially in ministering to people? Have you identified? Is there, is there a... Well, I believe the Lord is going to put that on your heart to help carry the burden and the weight. Because not, you know, I'm preaching to you a lot about your relationship with the Holy Spirit and hearing the Holy Spirit. But when you hear the Holy Spirit, things need flushed. The junk, that, the lies that you thought were true and all that stuff, it needs flushed. Because if you don't flush it, <laughs> it hangs around, it stinks. I had this dream, <laughs> this is a crazy dream. I had this dream last night where um, the Lord walked me into a king's bathroom. And I saw the people of this church lined up outside of the king's bathroom. And when I walked inside of the bathroom, he showed me this like amazing toilet. But it had all this gunk in it. It had all this stuff. And when I tried to hit the flush button, it, it, wouldn't, it, it was clogged. And so Jesus pulled out this plunger. <laughs> he, he was showing me how to open the clogged pipes. And when the pipes were opened, there was a flow of people going into that bathroom to get rid of the stuff <laughs> that doesn't allow you to grow. Okay? So in order to make a deliverance ministry work, there's got to be people who actually embody the, that, that responsibility and work with people Everything that Cricket was talking about in knowing what your issues are and caring for each other, the Lord begins to, to uh, unclog pipes and begin to flush things in that process. <laughs> How many of you know that after you go to the bathroom, you kind of feel a little better? The Lord, the, the Lord, the Lord's going to get rid of your constipation, okay? And you're all going to feel so much better because... <laughs> When the Lord speaks to you and all this amazing life comes in, all the dead stuff's got to go out. Amen? Everybody okay with that? So I just, I believe, Cricket, that uh, there's going to, there's going to, the Lord is actually going to start sending you a team of people to be, uh, uh, um, they, they, they actually are, are like plumbers. They keep the, the, <laughs> they keep the pipes open on the flush process in this house. Amen? You know, the Lord's simple, man. He talks to you in ways you understand. And I don't think there's anybody who wouldn't understand clogged pipes. <laughs> All right. Um, how do I recover from that? <laughs> All right. Uh, you know, a lot of people try to serve a God that they haven't encountered. And um, they don't really understand and know him in a way that he is recognized as being more powerful than your own thought process and will to do your own thing. And so I'm going to tell you a story about being overpowered by the Holy Ghost in a public place. And it wasn't really my will, but I was seeking the Lord at, this, at, at a time um, that I had just been having, I, I had just been baptized in the Holy Ghost. I had been... Uh, uh, baptized in the Holy Spirit for about six months, and I was just thirsting after the Lord, um, praying like a madman in my Bible all the time, and Scripture was coming alive for the first time in my life, and the Lord would just start to speak to me out of the Bible, and um, I started having some crazy experiences and things that, like, my pastor was like, he, I would tell him what happened to me, and he's like, he'd look at me, do you, you know how a dog, when you, you do that whistle and they go like this? That's how my pastor would look at me. <laughs> 
But um, I want to share, share with you um, about being overpowered, positioning yourself to be overpowered by the Lord. And, and things that are imparted through an encounter equip you, deliver you, launch you, do these things that you couldn't do on your own through your own will and making decisions. Okay? So I'm going to read a scripture to you first, and then I'm going to talk about the experience. This is Psalm 27, verse 1. And I'm going to read verse 1 through 4. It says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advanced against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart shall not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. And what culminates in this scripture is everything is centralized on David's heart being set on God. No matter what's going on around him, the steadfast thing in his life is his love affair with the Holy Ghost. And no matter what comes against him, he knows that his God is bigger than anything that comes against him. And he declares it, and, it, and the combination of, of, of his fearlessness is because of who he knows and who he relies on. Amen? So, 2006, it was somewhere around January 2006, um, I had uh, my two littlest uh, kids were uh, two and three years old, and so on Saturday mornings, I would uh, take them down to the local uh, McDonald's that had one of those play areas, and so that was, McDonald's was probably good for about two hours to let mama go do her thing, right, her escape. So as a good dad, I, I took my kids down to McDonald's, get them their pancakes and everything, and they eat, and then they're in their glory because the McDonald's play area is full of kids, and it's full of McDonald's moms, right? You guys, you guys know what I'm talking about? You have one of those around here? <laughs> All right, so I get them fed, um, and I pull out my Bible, and I had been in the Psalms, so I open it up to Psalm 27, and I start to read that scripture. And I get to verse 4 that says, The one thing I desire of the Lord is to dwell in the house of the Lord. And when I said, when, when I'm reading this, all of a sudden, I felt this oil, like this heat, come down over my head. And I'm, I'm you know, you, some of you saw people getting drunk in the Holy Spirit last night. I wasn't drunk, but I, I, was, I was weeping. I started to weep and shake uncontrollably in a public place. Because I read a scripture, and somehow it wasn't just words on a page. The Spirit of God came on me to show me what that really meant. And so this is starting to like increase, and I'm trying to stop it. And this, this is going on, and um, all, of a, all of a sudden, like, this wave came down over me in a way that I literally lost ability to stop it. I, my will was overcome by the power of the Holy Spirit in a way that um, I, I, started to, I started to weep, and I started to shake. And the next thing I know, I'm on the floor... I'm laying on the ground in the middle of McDonald's play area. All these kids are screaming. The moms are, you know, they're all talking and doing their thing. And I'm laying on the floor. It's tears running down my face, snot coming out of my mouth. Do you ever have a slobber knocker in the power of the Holy Ghost? 
And the Lord is starting to speak to me about his house. And I'm shaking and I'm crying and I'm literally, I'm trying to stop. Okay? Now, you're probably thinking, is this guy crazy? Kind of. I'm in love with Jesus, man. And, and when, I, when, when that happens, you open your heart up to things that are beyond um, human ability. Human, even your own human consciousness and awareness to either decide or not to decide. There's a vulnerability that you can have with the Holy Spirit that allows you to experience God in a way you could never experience before. And so, you know, I'm laying there. Two minutes go by. Three minutes go by. And now all the kids are recognizing that I'm laying there in a puddle of snot. And when all the kids, you know, the moms are watching their kids. So now all the moms are looking over and I'm laying, I'm laying there. And pretty soon, not only the kids are around me, but the moms are surrounding me in the middle of McDonald's. And I'm conscious of what they're aware of, but I can't stop what the Lord is doing to me in the middle of a public place. That's messed up, man. Why would the Lord do that to a guy? Why, why would the Lord um, uh, pour something out on a person um, in a public place to let you know that, um, you know, sometimes He makes spectacles of people to influence and impact the people around you, okay? Not only was the Lord speaking to me and, and ministering to me, but He was overpowering me in a way that I couldn't stop. Even, I mean, I had moms coming up to me with tissues, and they got their cell phones out, and they're handing me tissues, and they're saying, Sir, are you okay? Do we need to call the hospital? Do we need to get an ambulance? Should we call the police? And I'm going, all I can do, I'm laying there on the, on the on, you know, on the edge of, of the, the, the table, the picnic table things that they have in there. And I have my hand up in the Bible and I'm going, <laughs> and I'm, I, I got my hand on the Bible. And they're looking and I'm going, and they're going, sir, do we need to call? Do we need to call? And I'm going, and my, my three-year-old Cammie, uh, she's 16 now. Um, she's sitting there with her pastor fire and she's working her pacifier. And she goes, dad, you okay? Why are you crying? You you know, I became the spectacle at McDonald's because I sat down and read my Bible and suddenly God just showed up in my life. Why would the Lord do that? Why would he want to make me so aware of a heart position that David said, the one thing I require of you, the one thing I'm requiring of you, Lord, that I would dwell in your house. That's That's crazy. How, why, why is that one scripture so significant in recognizing David's heart and, and how the Lord came to David, poured oil on him, and that oil, that equipping, actually positioned David to no matter what was going on around him, no matter how uh, the public perceived him. You know, David was ridiculed. He, was, he had throws, uh, spears thrown at him by Saul. He had an entire army chasing him down. Um, but yet he learned to love God and to dwell in the presence of God no matter what was going on around him. And the Lord used that experience to um, create this hunger in me to understand the heart position that David had and why David would declare and, and use that one heart position for the launching of his whole relationship with the Lord and transitioning a whole nation, transitioning a whole nation to dwell in the presence of God. One line in the whole Bible shifted 
The understanding of one heart position shifted an entire nation to hunger and thirst after God. How can one simple line do that? Huh? You know, we have, we have people trying to memorize and understand and learn all these scriptures and think through of what everything means, but the Lord simplifies the whole process and said, basically, if you take on this heart position that you thirst after me, my anointing will flow off of you. And no matter how they chase you, no matter how they cut you down, no matter how many spears they throw at you, I will take care of you. And out of your own mouth, you'll declare that no matter how many come against me, they will stumble and fall. They cannot overcome me because my heart is set on the one who loves me. That's not, it can't be that simple, is it? What's going on in your life that has drawn your attention away from you simply entrusting and thirsting after his presence? Because out of that heart position, Everything flowed in David's life. David was so concerned about the Lord and wanting the presence of God that, you know, even after all those years of being chased by Saul and uh, ultimately the Lord anointing him to be king in Hebron and then moving him to Jerusalem, you know, the story of they took the ark. Um, they were bringing the ark into the city and David was so enamored, so overcome by what was happening that the presence of God was being brought into the city that he danced, right? He, he stripped down to, to, to he, he, he got shaky with it, man. He got jiggy with it, right? He's like, yeah, the presence of God. Woo! I mean, his heart, he couldn't contain his heart. He let his heart out. And it exposed something. It exposed even his wife, Mikhail, that um, was ashamed because of David's hunger and thirst for God. And it says that because of that heart position, she was left barren. There was no fruit in her life. There was no reproduction in her life. But David's life, he created mighty men. He created giant killers. The love of God on David's heart and David's heart for God actually released an anointing in a time where there wasn't supposed to be anointing being released. And men who followed David out of this love affair for God suddenly had an anointing and an ability to do supernatural things. Are you ready to be a giant killer? Are you hungry and thirsty for the living God? Hallelujah. That's got to sink in. That one simple heart position has to sink in. And it challenges you to recognize where you're positioned at. Are you positioned at his feet no matter what? Or is it conditional based on what's going on in your life? David was actually trained in a wilderness process where he was running for his life, yet he still chased God. See, that's what the oil does. The oil does something that the mere man can't do on their own. It's, it's, the, it's the anointing of the Holy Spirit that equips you to fall in love. Right? And so David loved the Lord so much that he's sitting around with Nathan the prophet after, after he gets into Jerusalem. And his life finally quiets down. Saul's dead. There's nobody chasing him. He's defeated the Philistines several times. He has conquered, man. And now his heart is able to rest in the place that he he, uh, pursued all those years. And he's sitting around with the prophet Nathan. 
Kind of like, you know, you're just sitting around watching football on Sunday afternoon. And the conversation goes something like this. David says, you know what? I'm concerned for the Lord and where he rests. I'm going to build him a house. And Nathan, you know, Nathan's not in the anointing at this time. He's just kind of hanging out, drinking, uh, you know, drinking a Coke, watching football with, with David. And he, say, he says, yeah, that sounds like an awesome idea. Let's build him a house. And they, they, they leave Sunday afternoon football thinking, we're building the Lord a house. We're, we're going to do it. We're going to build this immaculate thing. And the Lord's presence is going to rest in a, an amazing house for the Lord. Right? right? That's the way the conversation went. And so the, Nathan leaves. Nathan ends up going home, going to bed. And all of a sudden, like what happens with most prophetic people, the Lord shakes him in the middle of the night. And he says these words to him. Turn, turn with me to uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 11 and 12. I'm just going to read this to you. Also, the Lord says... He will make you a house. He, he actually says to him, you, you cannot, tell, tell David, you cannot build me a house because there's too much blood on your hands. But tell David, I will make him a house. They, uh, the Lord is actually shifting David's mindset that he doesn't actually need to build a physical place. That the Lord has actually built his heart to carry the living God from heaven in a place that no man can take, no man can knock down, no man can destroy. It has nothing to do with a physical thing. David is actually the place that God has made a house. Are you with me? And so <laughs> in, in that whole process, the Lord was actually shifting. It was like he's shifting David's paradigm. Stop thinking naturally that you're going to build me a physical house like they had in the tabernacle of Moses. I'm not worried about that anymore. I'm concerned and I'm declaring over you, David, that I've made you a house. I've positioned your heart in a way that you hunger and thirst after me. And because of that, I'm in love with you as much as you're in love with me. And I'm going to rest on your heart. Love, baby. The Lord was concerned about hearts connected, melded together in love. And he said, I'll rest there. Tell David, you don't have to worry about building me a house. I'm going to rest on your heart. So the second part that's key with this is uh, verse 12. It says, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, meaning my presence. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. Now, I'm speaking to you prophetically, because the Bible is very clear that Solomon actually built a temple for God. But how many of you know that even though there was a, there was a, a sacrificial service a ritual service and the glory of God came down and it dwelled in the, in the, in the temple. 
Solomon's heart wasn't prepared to actually carry the presence of God. And what was ended up happening in the temple is it became a ritual place and the presence of God didn't stay there. It rested in the place called Zion where David said, I don't need a physical house. I am the house. And he said, I'm going to take my throne, set it up in a place called Zion. And out of Zion will flow the river of Almighty God. And it says they took the ark to Zion and when they took took it to Zion. They took it to this place where they didn't need a physical building. They took the ark and it says that David was so in love with him that he laid kind of like this guy at McDonald's. He laid with his hand resting on, on, on the shadow of his wings and David was able to do something that by law he should have been struck dead. In a time where there was no Christ, Are you with me? In a time where there was no Christ, it says that only one of 12 people in Israel, the Levite tribe, could actually have an opportunity to go in and be in the physical presence where the ark was in in the most holy place, right? And only the high priest of the tribe of all the Levites that made it to be priests, only the high priest could go in. And they went in once a year to confess the sin of the nation. And if their heart wasn't right, if they didn't follow the ritual to get in and they didn't confess all their sin and do all this stuff that they were supposed to do by ritual, it says that they actually, the, the high priest had to wear all these layers, all these unique garments. They had to be washed a certain way. They had to be all this stuff. And they actually had pomegranates and bells on the bottom of the skirt. And so once a year when the high priest took the blood sacrifice in to the most holy place to sprinkle it on the mercy seat and to confess the sin of the nation, they actually would tie a rope. They tied a rope around the high priest. So when he went in, that if he didn't go in with the right heart and go through the right process, that when he was struck dead by the presence of God, they could pull him out and they didn't have to risk their life going in to get a guy that didn't have a right heart. That'll mess you up if you think about it because David actually bypassed all the law in a time where Christ wasn't even present. And he said, I know the Lord because he poured his anointing on me and my heart is right with him because I'm chasing him with all my heart, all my strength, all my will. I am desiring to be in the presence of God. I'm in love with him and I will risk everything I have to lay in his presence just to be in the shadow of his wing. He bypassed all the routines. He bypassed all the confession processes. He bypassed it all because he was hungry and thirsty. He knew that God loved him. Do you know that God loves you? No matter where you're at right now, God is so in love with you that there is nothing that can keep him from you. And he's coming and he's the one actually with a rope. He's actually pulling you in. He's the one actually searching you out. And he's pulling you into the most holy place that you'll lay at the altar of his feet with your hand on him. Worshiping this amazing God that has a heart for you. And somehow David has a heart for God and, and God has a heart for David. They're like these two lovebirds and they're looking at each other going, I'm going to build a house for you. No, I'm going to make you a house. I'm going to build a house for you. And they're like, you, do you ever see two lovebirds? Like they, they're like so googly eyed in love and they're kissing each other. Blah, blah, blah. That's David's heart for God. Can I tell you, it wasn't my plan to lay in the middle of McDonald's floor and be a spectacle in a public place. But when it happened to me, 
and I understood that the Lord was coming to me. He was putting a rope on me and he was putting something in me to thirst and hunger and chase after him that I realized it was like the most golden gift a person could ever get to be in love with him. To be absolutely so undone for the presence of God that that was the primary thing. God himself, it actually, prophecy wasn't the goal of David, but prophecy flowed because of David's heart for God. Psalms were written, not because David glorified himself as a psalmist, but Psalms were written because he was so in love and he just started to flow. The river of God started to flow out of David's heart. That's a picture of your prophetic connection with the Lord, that you can be so connected that whether you ever prophesied before, it's actually hearing God and allowing the gift, the love to flow out of you. Are you with me? You mean it can't, it's that simple that this is really all about love? It has nothing to do with going through a quick sequence of confessing this and confessing that. It's like God has a rope on you and where the law actually would kill people if they didn't go the right process, Lord is actually putting a rope on you and pulling you in. He's pulling you in. He's pulling you in to the most holy place where the Lord desires to speak to you face to face. Can't be that simple, is it, guys? You see... When Jesus came, it totally changes the the reason that you understand why Christ actually came. Because even though they built the temple, they built Solomon's temple, it says that the whole nation would gather around David who worshipped the Lord. And he was so in love with the Lord that mighty men of valor were birthed as they laid in the presence of the Lord. And then there were others that gathered around, and pretty soon they had 24-hour-a-day worship. And they had all these, it was like the nation gathered in Zion around the presence of God. But down at Solomon's temple, they were still going through the rituals. And there's a distinction between the Pharisees who lost the, the, the relational dynamic with the presence of God. And they went through the rituals that when Jesus actually showed up on earth, they didn't recognize him. They didn't even know who he was. But the blind man, the blind man recognized in his spirit, he said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Right? How can a blind man see Jesus, but men who know the Bible can't even recognize him? Don't think about that too long. It'll mess up your heart. You know what? It's supposed to mess up your heart. You're supposed to actually thirst and, and, and hunger after this living God in a way that he's the one that actually comes and begins to speak to you about scriptural understanding and meaning and relationship. The Lord's digging up some hearts, man. It's a paradigm shift. He's doing to you what he did to David. He's actually shifting your whole focus, not on following it out of ritual, about wanting to know this living God who hungers and thirsts to know you. You guys okay? You guys okay? (laughs) It can't be that simple, is it? You see, David, um, David was like the apple of God's eye, and he knew it. He flaunted himself as it. It was kind of like the disciple John who said, the disciple whom Jesus loved, 
Are there any Johns in the house? I am the one that Jesus loves. I am the one that Jesus loves. Amen? <laughs> Hallelujah, baby. <laughs> you see, David touched God's heart so profoundly that God didn't prophesy about Solomon's temple. He actually prophesied after David was gone, and he prophesied about the son of David. He actually calls Jesus Christ the son of God. He actually calls him the son of David. David touched God's heart so profoundly because he was simply in love with God that he said, because you worship me like that, your seed will produce. That's what the prophecy was about in, in verse, um, uh, let me back up here. In, in verse, uh, verse 12, when your days are fulfilled you, uh, and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish the kingdom. He shall build a house for my presence, my name. That was actually the, you know, when you read scripture, there's actually many different prophetic meanings of it. And we have denominations that set each other on um, in certain interpretations and they actually separate themselves from the full understanding of the Lord when the Lord actually has depths of understanding. He actually desires to release levels of understanding that only come through pursuit. And yet we in our denomination settle on certain truths and we wrap our, our focus around truth when the Lord is saying, I want you to wrap your focus around my presence. Wrap your focus around my heart. See, by, 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 uh, by separating yourself and believing certain limitations of Scripture, you actually segregate yourself from what the Lord is trying to to birth in you from glory to glory to glory. It's as simple as you chasing after God and not segregating or bypassing anybody. Why is it that Christians end up separating themselves more than any other aspect of religion? You know, Muslims are pretty much Muslims. Hindus are pretty much Hindus. But Christians have these different segregations based on certain scriptural understandings and, and perceptions when the Lord is saying, I called you to camp around my presence and I will release multiple understandings of, and, and abilities to interpret scripture depending on the situation and environments you're in that will keep you trusting in me and not your own understanding of what the scripture says. And I don't know where that just came from because that wasn't in my notes. Are you with me though? That's the Spirit of God repositioning your heart to hunger and thirst after Him in spirit. And out of your relationship with Him in spirit, there's many interpretations based on the situation that God wants to do, but we end up limiting God by not believing He can do certain things because of the understanding and limitations that we have on certain scriptures. Are you with me? Say this with me. Say, Jesus, in every way I've boxed you out. In every way I've caged you. In every way I've chained you. That has blocked my understanding. And limited my view. Because of my own self-will. Or cultural perception of what is right or wrong. I invite you 
to give me a McDonald's experience. (laughs) How is it that David could bypass every rule, every law, and chase after God's heart? It can't be that simple, is it? You see, the intent, if you understand that, the intent of why Jesus came as the Son of God, um, He came fulfilling prophecy. The Lord actually prophesied about David's heart out of Zion. Uh, Isaiah twenty two twenty two says, the, Mas- the Messiah will carry the key of David on His shoulder. Jesus references Himself in the book of Revelation as the one who carries the key of David, Right? Amos 9.11, the Lord prophesies. He does not say that I will rebuild Solomon's temple. He says, I will restore the tent of David that has fallen down. I will send my son to restore and release the presence of God to the nations, baby. To the nations. I'm not looking for philosophers and theologians. I'm looking for people who will chase after my heart. And out of that relationship, you'll take my presence to the nations. Are you in love with Jesus? Yeah. Isaiah 2, 3, chapter 2, verse 3 says, The law shall come forth out of Zion. And a lot of people get confused because they read um, the, the law, the word law in the Old, Old Testament, and even in, in certain places in the New Testament, and they automatically assume that that's the law of Moses. But that's not true. The, the, Isaiah uh, chapter 2, verse 3 says, The law shall come forth out of Zion. The word law there is the word yara. It actually means to flow like water. So what the Lord is saying, that those who position themselves like David did in Zion and thirst and hunger after my presence, there will be a flow of living water that will come out of their heart. What did Jesus prophesy? He said that the living water shall flow out of your heart and they shall know you because of the life that you give. The life that is released to the people around you. Dang. So you mean I just have to position my heart to hunger and thirst and be willing to be overcome in public places. Can I tell you this? About 20 years ago, I was so afraid to speak in front of people, I would shake. I, I was like, I'm not doing it. I, I, was, I could figure out math and all kind of complicated stuff and do that, but I was afraid to speak in front of people. But the Lord comes with His Spirit and He makes a spectacle out of you, shifting your heart in a way that His love is more powerful than your fear. Because the Bible actually says that perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. And it comes when the Lord begins to visit you. It comes out of a heart that starts chasing and thirsting after Him. Amen? So it changes the whole perspective of why Christ came. He came as the Son of David. But we have a lot of interpretations that say, and they focus around a couple key truths that, the, that Jesus accomplished and conquered sin at the cross, right? And they don't actually recognize the power of the resurrection. You got to understand the power of the resurrection. Because not only did Jesus conquer sin, and actually, can I tell you this? The issue with sin is actually not the act. The issue of sin is the separation of your heart from the one who has the power over sin. So if you are in Christ, you are in the one who has power over sin, who conquered all sin and death. 
Jesus Christ holds all the keys of sin and death. He holds all keys. There is no key that Jesus Christ doesn't hold. He holds the key of life and he holds the key of death. So your destiny is in Christ. It's in nothing else. It's not in the fact that you were raped. It's not in the fact that you don't have a hope. It's not in the fact that your dad beat you. It's not in, even though it's real and it actually imprisons you, I'm here to tell you that he came in, he he actually, it says, the Bible says, he descended into hell to preach to the captives. Are you a captive of being broken? Are you a captive of drugs? Are you a captive? Jesus preached to the captives. Jesus preached to the captives and it says that they heard him and they ascended with Christ. Jesus actually ascended out of hell and before he went into heaven, he told the disciples, don't leave the city. I'm not done yet. I'm the son of David. And I don't know if you know the prophecy. I don't know if you know the prophecy about David, but I'm the son of David. And my father said that he would make me a house. And if he made my father David a house, I am the house. I am the one who conquered sin. And I am the one who was sent here to conquer sin and to ascend and send you the anointing of the Holy Ghost. That the presence that was on David, one man, David actually created a whole environment because he loved God and the presence of God followed after one man. He, one man chased God so vehemently, so boldly that the presence of God expanded beyond David and touched the people around him. And a whole nation left the ritual and went to Zion to worship the living God 24 hours a day. And so if you get the revelation of what being baptized in the oil, the oil that was poured on David, the one that made him fall in love... It changes the whole perspective of what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. It's a love anointing. And out of that love anointing, people rise up with the same mentality of Jesus. That I came to set the captive free. I came to heal the brokenhearted. I came to release sight to the blind. I came to preach to the captive. I came to find the girl who was raped, who was taken advantage of. And when I prophesy to her, she's going to be raised up with Christ. She's going to be in love with, with Jesus just as much as David was. Man. Are you with me? Are you with me, man? Are you in love? Jesus is so in love with you. He took that every broken thing. It was upon his body. He took it. And when he went to the cross, he took your cancer, he took your pain, he took your, your brokenness, he took your worry, he took your fear, and he took it to the grave and he ascended in the anointing. He ascended to send the anointing. It was the Holy Ghost who came and resurrected Christ and equipped him to go preach to the captives. It was the same love that came on David to love God, came on Jesus to raise him up out of the tomb, to be resurrected, to go out and be multiplied. Christ was actually multiplied, not from the three years that those guys followed him, because after those three years, they shook in fear. They still shook in fear. They knew Jesus for three years. He actually told them, go, preach the gospel, cleanse the lepers. He told them all that. But when he was out of their sight, they shook in fear. But suddenly when the son of David rose out of the grave and he ascended into heaven, he sent the power of the Holy Ghost. 
And that equipping, that love for God, equipped them to be fearless. And that, that man named Peter, who shook in fear, actually denied Christ on the night of the crucifixion. He actually ran out into the street and said, this is that. This is what was prophesied by the prophet Joel. Right? And men became fearless. They multiplied overnight. It says that 2,000 came to know Christ that, in that one day. The anointing was poured out. It says they were so intoxicated with the presence of God. They were so intoxicated with the Holy Ghost that they thought they were drunk, right? And Peter had to stand up and say, we are not drunk as you suppose. We're overcome with love, man. We're overcome with love. Woo! What if I met the God who loves me? Woo! Can you picture Peter? Everybody thinks that Peter got up like this order. Orator. You know what you know what an orator is? Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth it. No, Peter's up there. He's up there. I don't know what your vision of it is, but Peter's up there so enamored with the Holy Ghost, he's going, Whoa! I'm a free man. Last night I ran in fear. I, I was afraid, but today I'm a free man. And the anointing was released. And the people were able to hear. They were able to receive because the anointing was poured out. Let me tell you one story and I'm going to pray for you. You know, when, when you are in love with Jesus and you submit yourself to his ways, he will constantly, all the time, change the path of your steps. And like when I go to India, I preach four or five times a day uh, during the day. Wherever they take me, whether it's a small 50-person gathering or a 300-person church, wherever, they, you know, they take me and I don't know where I'm going. I just come up with, with stuff, right? I take the Holy Ghost. Um, and then I do crusades at night. And so in that process, um, the Lord will often speak to me and shift what I was going to do, right? And I have to be willing to say, even though my theology is this, and I want to give these people this, even though it could be a spiritual thing, the Lord actually will speak to me and say, this is what I want you to talk about, right? And so we walk into this, this church. It's a small church, about 40 people. And uh, I had already been uh, preaching for probably three or four hours that day. And over in India, I mean, it's between 100 and 110 degrees. Um, my shirt is drenched. I'm soaking wet. Sweat still pouring off my face. I sit down and they start doing their Indian music. And all of a sudden the Lord says, uh, I, want you to, I want you to talk about the woman with the issue of blood. And I said, I've never preached about the woman of the issue of blood. I don't, what, do, what, what do you want me to say, right? And I'm, so me and the Lord are in this quick five-minute huddle before, uh, here's Dave Cuppet, right? And boom. So I'm standing up there and I open up the scripture. and I, So I read the scripture and I just start to talk about, you know, the woman with the issue of blood had to reach out and grab the hem of, of Christ's garment. And when it, you know, the 12 years where she searched with the physicians and every possible way of being healed with the natural medicine she actually finally, with the opportunity to, to touch Christ, she reached out and touched him and she was healed, right? So, you know, I prayed for some people and um, all of a sudden, the pastor's wife, she starts, ah! she's, I mean, she, she's an all-out, um, uncontrollable cry in the, in the middle of, of a group of people. She falls on the floor 
And <laughs> the, the past, the, you know, India, they're, they're very regimented and they, they try to put on an appearance of being holy because of, you know, that's just what they were taught. There, there was a lot of Baptist minister, uh, missionaries in the area that I go. And so they think that uh, being holy in church is associated with, you know, the routine. And so she's, lay, she's uncontrollably touched by the Holy Ghost and she's laying there crying and uh, the, pa- the pastor's like, you're making a spectacle out of me, right? And I, I literally had to walk back. I looked at him. I said, it's all right. Just let her go, right? Just call- it's okay. This is normal. Only because I knew what the Lord does to people in McDonald's. <laughs> That's messed up, man. Anyway, anyway, um, I get done, and the pastor comes up and grabs my interpreter. He comes up, he's like, he's mad. He grabs him by the shoulders, and he's blah, 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 and they're blah, 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 blah. And I'm going, what's going on? What's going on? And the interpreter turns to me, and he says, he wants to know how you knew about his wife bleeding. And I, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you, man. The guy called God is real. The guy called God, the guy called God, Jesus is real. So his wife is still on the floor and I'm ministering to some other people. We leave, we're going, you know, I only got an hour or so with the church. We go on to the next church. My interpreter's phone is lighting up the whole time. Like the whole next church we're in and the rest of the late afternoon getting ready for the night. My interpreter's phone, he's, I can see him over there. He's blah, 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 blah. And her bleeding stopped during the service, she bled for over 20 years. She actually bled for over 20 years. And all I had to do is be obedient and preach about something he told me to preach that I had never preached on before and be willing to actually do and, and say what the Lord was leading me to do. And so this is messing me up, man. I mean, I've seen miracles and stuff. I have words of knowledge, but, but it's like, This guy was so irate. He was so zealous for God that he was trying to put on the appearance of doing the right thing. You know, like kind of Saul. Saul was zealous, but when the Holy Ghost, when Jesus came and appeared to Saul, he actually changed his name and sent him to the nations to release the love of God and not the zealous word by itself that kills. Right? Paul followed the ritual and killed people, but Jesus came and released an anointing and Paul goes into the world and releases life. Right? So this pastor is functioning in the same way that Saul was. He's zealous, man. He believes, he believes in what the Bible says, but he never actually saw like God come into his church. So that night after the crusade, my interpreter's phone is still lighting off the hook. And this guy is so, he's amazed that his wife now, eight hours later, still has not bled when she bled for 20 years. The next day, two days, three days, four days, finally, that that actually happened the first day I was there during this mission. And finally, um, he says, okay, the word is getting out in my church that my wife was actually healed by the true God, Jesus. And so we actually want to do a crusade in my region. And um, he goes, just come and the word is getting out because the people are hearing about what happened to my wife. So we come, preach to, I don't know, a thousand people. 
and they rush the altar because they hear a person's witness who bled for 20 years and they all knew that she bled for 20 years and suddenly this man named Jesus comes into her life and she, she stops bleeding. All out of a love affair of being willing to submit yourself and be in a relationship of, of hearing the Lord. And that's really what prophecy and the gifts of the Spirit are. They're not bulldogs. They are out they are out of the flow of your relationship. Amen? They're out of the flow of your relationship. So this is what I want to do before I start prophesying to people. Um, how many of you know that the Lord is simplifying your life? He's, he's removing all the thought processes of having to earn, having to achieve, having to measure up. And He's repositioning you to actually put all that stuff aside, really realizing that His love is greater than all of your, your issues and all of your limitations and the box that you allow yourself to be put in. Because it's not His will that you live outside of the most holy place. It's His will that you lay at His feet and see Him face to face and you have this direct face to face relationship. And therefore, fear has no power over you because you know His love. You know that He's for you and not against you. Right? Does that excite anybody? (laughs) Say this with me. Say, Jesus... Make me a house. I want to be the one made a spectacle of in public places. Being willing to be fearless because I hear you. Because I know you are for me and not against me. Reveal your love to me in ways that I could never work for, never earn, never achieve. I open up my heart. To receive your love. To be overcome like David. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord. All of the days of my life. To dwell and focus on your beauty. To hear your voice. Jesus, make me a house. Jesus, make me a house. Hallelujah. All right, now we got to finish this off, okay? The whole reason that Jesus took sin to the cross was so that he could ascend and send the power of the Holy Spirit upon you, right? To equip you with what David loved, the presence of God. Can I tell you that salvation is a little bit different from the resting place of the presence of God? You can actually be saved but still not have a heart that is aligned in love with the one who loves you. And it's not your fault. It's just he has more for you. He has so much more for you. It's so far beyond anything you could ask or think. His desire is that he would rest on you. Because the same word that came to David saying, I'll make you a house. If you're willing, he's saying that to you right now. I will make you a house. I will make you a resting place where I will dwell. And you and I will be in constant relationship, constant communication. And you will go through this world not limited, but you'll be unlimited. You will walk in the true power of the Holy Ghost because you don't walk alone. You walk with my voice. And where my voice goes, the darkness can't comprehend my voice. It can't stop it. 
Thank you for joining this week's episode of the School of the Holy Spirit. For more information or to request David at your church or conference, please go to davidcuppet.org, D-A-V-I-D-C-U-P-P-E-T-T dot O-R-G. You can also find the School of the Holy Spirit podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, and Charisma Magazine. For a deeper dive into the Holy Spirit, we encourage you to purchase David's new book, The Key of David, Experiencing the Voice of God, available on Amazon. We pray that you will encounter the Holy Spirit in a transforming way and become all that Christ has prophesied over your life.